Welcome to Campbell and Cohen's Kooky Quarantine. I'm Seamus Campbell. I'm Ben Cohen. And we are joined today by Justin Holsenbach, who is actually our uh, our friend and you know person we've been trying to get on this podcast since we first started. We finally got him. He's also a candidate for the uh, Fulton County Commissioner in Georgia. How are you doing, Justin? Doing fine. And I, I guess I, I appreciate you guys having me on um, on the podcast. I, I had a firm going into the quarantine, no new podcast uh, policy, but so far you guys have done done pretty good content. I, I've been I've been listening in, so I really appreciate you guys having me on. We actually finally okay. We have a confirmed listener. This actually <laughs> has made our day. And since I saw Rachel Polly wandering around in the background, I assume every now and then you force her to listen with you. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> just every so often, we'll we'll both listen in. We're not making any apologies, Rachel. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we know we're terrible, but that's good. We're cool. It's part, it's part of our aesthetic. We wrote it. love it. No, it's been good. It's been good listening to you guys. Um, it's been strange not, I mean, we were supposed to go to Kansas right as all of this start, stuff started. And it's been yeah. one very small way that we can still stay in touch with all of our dysfunctional YDA family and, and still hang out, so to speak, uh, at least uh, auditorily. Yeah, you know, we figured, like, after so much time apart, especially, you know, when we couldn't have the meeting in, uh, in Wyandotte County, and when a virtual meeting just isn't the same for forcing everyone to, like, listen to me or Seamus or both of us at the same time, just <laughs> ripping on bad jokes and such for hours at a time. This was sort of the best way we could think of to compensate. I mean, I think it's done pretty well. So or creating far. crazy uh, resolutions. Oh, yeah. Yes. We need to figure out what our next uh, prank resolution is going to be at some point. Well, we got we to gotta figure out how to legally change dog names. Um, because Josh has really waffled on what was supposed to be a very binding resolution. Um, I think it's really been a, um, a dark moment in YDA's history if the president cannot abide by a national committee resolution and flies in the face of the will of the people. Um, now, Justin, since you're running for public office, if elected, will you use the full force and power of the Fulton County Commission to make Josh comply with the wishes of the National Committee? I mean, we, there's going to be some juris jurisdictional issues, but, you know, I get to go to the National uh, County Commissioners meetings, um, the national organization. Um, I think I can have some conversations with his local county leadership um, just to kind of put his feet to the fire. Um, again, I, I just, democracy matters. Um, and if you're going to be a president of an organization um, that makes a motion and, um, you know, puts forward such a strong foot and will of the uh, people like this, to just fly in the face of that, I think, is an affront to democracy. Oh, well, it's completely disrespectful. Um, we are a bunch of nerds with convictions. Mm -hmm. And if we can't have those listened to in what is really supposed to be our safe space, then by God, I mean, what, like, what are we even fighting for? I mean, listen, I, part of my campaign uh, for fundraising, since it's been so challenging during all this COVID stuff, um, we put out a fundraiser that if, um, with two different links, one was for pineapple on pizza, one was against. The only correct answer is that pineapple does not belong anywhere near pizza, but I am honoring the will of the people because pineapple on pizza received more donations. So all of my yard signs will feature a very small block letter on the bottom that says pineapple belongs on pizza because I respect democracy, that that is my perspective. 
And that is the mark of a true public servant. That is why when, you know, we converted one of our many in-jokes into an actual, like, aspiring political action committee, we sort of knew, like, we have to make sure that one of the people that reaps the benefits is Justin. Mm-hmm. I appreciate your awesome support. And for that, it's uh, we have not formally announced it yet, on any, but this is going to be the place where we're doing it. Justin's actually gotten the very first endorsement of Dog Pack, formerly known as Friends of Manhole. Let's say, do we throw confetti into the air? Um, I, had, I wish uh, I should have gotten some uh, confetti poppers. Like, okay, Seamus, when you're editing this, can you work in some celebratory noises? You know, some poppers going off, people cheering, that sort of thing. Just, yeah, can't. just go full like morning show DJ. Yeah. Throw in a bunch of sound effects. <laughs> no, I really do appreciate you guys. Um, the Young Democrats of America, a lot of the people that I've um, gotten to know and gotten to be really good friends with over the last five, six years, um, a lot of you guys have shown up and, and helped me in this campaign. You know, we're running on some actually serious stuff. We're, we're going to try to get some pro- uh, progressive transit expansion done here in Atlanta, um, address some like public health issues, not just COVID things like HIV, HIV and AIDS and opiate epidemics or um, addiction, especially in the northern parts of our county. Um, budget, um, uh, readdressing how Fulton County's budget is spent, stuff like that. And the Young Democrats of America, you guys especially have really shown up and helped um, both monetarily, but also you know, it, uh, giving advice, um, putting some eyes on this race, stuff like that. So no, it really does mean a lot and we can have some more confetti come in right now on like the sides of the screen. That would be pretty cool. And with that, actually, uh, so Justin, you don't know about this yet, but we are planning on having a virtual fundraiser for you and uh, our other endorsed candidate, uh, candidates. So we'll probably have that in the next like two weeks or so. Right awesome. now we're recording this on uh, September 27th. So, you know, once we have all the details, we'll send it to you. Hopefully you can show up, you know, say a few words, maybe eat a pineapple pizza. Put on, you know, just put on a bow tie and something that looks formal uh, from the chest up since really no one else is going to see anything else. I was about um, to say that I might have to actually style my hair instead of my quarantine hat. Um, yeah. With my background. So, no, that's awesome. Um, no, I really do appreciate it. Um, I think Young Democrats of America back, you know, before the apocalypse, um, we had like our, our days of actions where we would get together and do like the text banking at meetings um, you know, a lot of our meetings were like our, the business of the organization, but then we had a lot of like spinoff stuff where other YDA members that were running would get support and we'd do our days of action and stuff like that. It's, it's very cool to see um, our, the membership of YDA still find ways during the apocalypse to, to help each other out and, and kind of, you know, contribute to each other. So. Yeah, like our fr- uh, friend of the pod, or best friend of the pod, really, Anna Robleski, she's been in her capacity as court chair. She's been organizing a day of action for each region on the 17th and 18th of October. And like, I know with my region, we're going to be making calls for Sarah Gideon, you know, get the help, get Susan Collins out of the Senate. No, we've got some, we've got some key races in Georgia, too. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. The, the coolest part, I think, right now is that there's so many places in play that, like, a lot of people will ask, like, how can I help? And my first answer is always, I know this guy that's running for county commission in North, um, North Metro Atlanta, but, like, 
beyond that, there's we've got Georgia with our two Senate seats. We've got Maine. We've got an actual chance to defeat the turtle in, in Kentucky. Um, we've got South Carolina. We've got all these different places where there's like really strong Young Dems chapters. Um, there's like really cool places where we can feed in and kind of amplify each other's work um, and feed into it um, while having a good time, you know, um, doing stuff like this, um, you know, hanging out for like debate watch parties, the, the meme groups that spin out of that, um, you know, youth, youth organized organizing spaces. It, it's pretty cool to see. So Justin, uh, before we started recording, we, you and I were talking about uh, everything with your race. So you want to give us any updates that are going on with that? Like how has it been going? Which has the response? Like, yeah, what I mean, have you I, been up I, to? I'm a 31 year old, um, you know, very out progressive um, Democrat. So I'm running in an area that has been thought of in Atlanta as, you know, a Republican stronghold in Metro mm-hmm. Atlanta. Um, but in 2018, if you took the precincts within my county commission district, um, Stacey Abrams lost the precincts, but by 51, 5-1 votes out of over 72,000 votes cast. Um, and that was in a midterm election. Um, heading into June, which was our rescheduled primary date, I always told people like, this is the most flippable race that you don't know exists. Um, and what we found in June was that I was, I was kind of right. Um, both myself and my Republican opponent were uncontested in the primary. Um, Democrats, obviously, in our area had a lot of races to pull people out. Um, we had a sheriff's race and a DA's race and a few other positions that would be decided um, on the Democratic ballot in June because of the way the Fulton County as a whole is a very different <laughs> county. Um, but if you took our vote, there was also a lot of stuff pulling Republicans out. The um, primary to run against Lucy McBath and lose against her in November was very contested. Um, there were a lot of other local races that were um, pulling Republicans out. If you took our vote totals and combined them, I got uh, 57.5% of the vote. Um, you know, almost beat them by 20 points if you took our combined ballot. Now that doesn't count for anything other than you know, communications, but what it's done is really shown people like North Fulton is changing. Uh, whenever we're going into this November, um, I think there's a lot of dynamics combining to put us in a really good spot to win. Um, the, the up ballot pressures in our area of Georgia um, are immense to drive Democrats out. We've got obviously, you know, the presidential race, we've got our two U.S. Senate seats, but then we also have the number one hold target um, in the um, U.S. House for Lucy McBath's district. We've got the number one state Senate um, uh, target uh, to flip. And um, some listeners might know Sarah Beeson. She was the Young Democrats of Georgia president, um, I think three years ago, four years ago, um, back whenever I was first getting involved. She's running for state Senate District 56, but almost all of our precincts overlap, and that's the number one flip district in Georgia. We've got like three or four of the number, uh, the, the top 10 House district holds, including a couple of top five flips. So there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of effort being poured into this area of Metro Atlanta just to drive Democrats out and get them to vote. And it's our job to make sure that they understand that like who is your county commissioner matters. Um, if my seat flips right now, a county, Fulton County, that float, votes like 72 plus percent Democrat is three Republicans, three Democrats, and a swing vote that usually swings Republican. And so pretty much on every key vote um, ends up being the Republican um, standpoint or position wins. If I flip my seat, we then have four strong Democrats, a swing vote, and two Republicans. And with a county budget larger than a lot of state budgets, like fiscal year 20, Fulton County had a $1.3 billion budget. 
Um, and a lot of that goes to county payroll, but there are tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent on projects. Um, things like progressive transit expansion, um, public health policy, um, union, unionization and workplace protections, um, both through the county, but also private, um, electoral reforms and uh, criminal justice reforms. And I can keep going, um, but we just got to convince people to go, I think I'm the next to last race on the ballot before the ballot questions. We just got to get people to go all the way down there and vote. And that's what we're focused on right now. So if uh, anyone like that's listening wants to help you out, uh, obviously they can help monetarily, but how else can they assist? Yeah, I mean, especially if you have friends or family that live in, the, in that area um, and it's Northwest Fulton County, inviting them to like the Facebook page and just telling them that this race matters. Um, and then if you are in another state, you're on the other side of the country, you don't know a single person except for me that lives in Georgia. Um, we do have a few ways that you can get involved um, voluntarily, uh, like on a volunteer basis. Um, you know, that go to our website, justinholsenbeck.com, fill out our Get Involved page. Um, we are doing a lot of coordinated work um, with some ballot races, um, races that are a little bit more easy to say, like what they can do, um, like a state ledger, a sta uh, state rep, or a state senator. Um, we're also feeding in, going to be working on a couple of key phone banks coming up with like the Lucy McBath campaign as well as the John Ossoff campaign and the Warnock campaign for Senate. Um, so we've got some good events coming up that if, even if someone lives in Alaska or Guam or Puerto Rico or Alabama or, you know, wherever in the country, if they want to help out, we're going to have some events coming up in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. And just uh, listeners, uh, that's justinholsenback.com. Do not go to justinholsenback.com. Or actually do if you uh, are a fan of fine cuisine. So the, um, one of the weirder stories of this campaign so far, um, I woke up on how it feels like a different planet, whatever the, our primary date was back in June, June 9th. I woke up on like June 8th and like a bunch of people had tagged me and a bunch of stuff on Instagram. And I had gotten endorsed by Usher um, and also by a person who I didn't know who he was. I mean, I knew the name, but Little Yachty, who is a rapper. Um, but Bird uh, Yachty. I think I've seen him in a soda commercial more than I've seen like like heard his actual music. I, I like looked him up on on Spotify. I was like, I, I think I've heard some of these songs before. Um, but so I, I found out that I got endorsed by Usher, but Usher had on his infographic um, changed my first name to Justice Holsenback, which you know it, it's it's great. It's it was a lot of fun. Um, I guess I, I was going to file with the Secretary of State's office to do like we can put nicknames on the ballot. And you can do like Justin Justice Holsenback, um, but we were past the deadline for that. But it's been it's been exciting, and our our, uh, our, our good buddy Seamus decided to. Uh, we did not know that we needed to reserve the justiceholsenback.com URL for the campaign. Um, he decided to um, pretend that I had taken the atrocious stance that pineapple belonged on pizza, and associated that with our campaign of progressive politics, which is which is a shame, um, but that is, that is a thing that lives on the internet now. It was actually some pretty good trolling because <laughs> I wrote the code so great that it actually looked like it was redirecting to your site if you did any sort of like link sharing online, on Facebook or Twitter or anything. And then of course you get redirected to a pineapple on pizza, a recipe. Listen, well as some of you may have picked up on by now, when Seamus wants to troll somebody online, he, he just fucking does it. <laughs> and Seamus I do it like very the, well. Seamus is like the embodiment of like, do not piss off the IT guy at work. 
Um, Let me just say this. His character when we play D&D is uh, chaotic, uh, evil alignment, if that means anything to you. And it's times like this where you can sort of see where that comes from. Oh, yeah, definitely. He, um, I think Seamus and I, although we disagree on the pineapple on pizza thing, like... No, no, no. I, very... no I, I'm on your side on that. I do not think it, it should be on there. It was me messing with you. Oh, okay. I thought you were on the... on no. Pineapple. Okay. No, Ben we, is, we, though. We can be more friends yeah. now. Now, that yeah. being said, we are on opposite sides where I like all the different ways that you can, like, enhance pizza and make it awesome. You guys don't for some reason. I actually, and I've been waiting for at some point during this recording uh, to bring this up, I found something that I think should unite those who like pineapple on pizza and those who are incorrect pretty roundly. And I'm going to put it in the chat uh, just so you can all see, just like the horror that we all need to unite against. Oh, no. No, no. Oh, no. Now, listeners, uh, let me explain to you what they are recoiling against. Because you need to understand how important it is that we that all... That works as... But, like, it, that could work as dessert, but it cannot have cheese on that. Like, it has to have, like, cream, ice cream or something. Like, no. Okay. La ladies and gentlemen, and anyone who identifies in any other way, uh, I want to make sure everyone equally understands the horror. Uh, what I'm showing you is a picture of a pizza, you know, normal cheese pizza looking, otherwise would be normal, with sliced up strawberries on it. Now, personally, I don't like strawberries anyway, but the thought of this was just like, I don't know who isn't being disrespected in this creation. Like dessert pizza is a thing, but you have to commit. You can't just, and, and that, that's my problem with pineapple on pizza is like, if you're going to do savory, don't don't start throwing on a bunch of sweet stuff that just overwhelms. It's like putting ketchup on anything. All you taste is ketchup. The pineapple adds an acidity. It's great, but okay. Sweetness, and that's what it works. Strawberry, I don't know what the hell this is supposed to accomplish. And I just typed it into Google, and this is not the only picture of this. Somebody out there uh, who either lost a bet or hates themselves or lost a bet and then has just, you know, been paying penance for something ever since uh, has committed to this. So is this like a, a weird regional thing that we can annex that region or? I, I wish I knew. Like, like this was, okay, so Ben shared it via Reddit, Reddit post and I'm trying to read some of these. Like no one, no one in the comment thread is saying anything bad about this, which makes me truly scared for the future of humanity. That's because it's Reddit, and I mean, you go into some corners on the internet, and you're just going to find the people that want to be the worst. Um, well, if you Google strawberry on pizza, like there are legitimate recipe pages with a yeah. lot of upvotes, with like an almost five star rating on recipes. Like this I, I is shocking. You, this is not as isolated as I think it should be in like an orderly society. Yeah, this this is this is probably what contributed to the downfall of Rome, and we're just like mm -hmm. we're just jumping into it. Like you know, they they probably had pineapple on pizza or strawberry on pizza back in ancient Rome, and look where like, there is no ancient Rome. Where we are as a society, that shouldn't surprise you. I mean, I thought this was going to be like a fun-filled, happy podcast, and now my entire Sunday is is less good now because I now know that this exists. This this is now in my my brain zeitgeist. That, I knew about, well, so there are two reasons for me to, to bring this up. One, because I knew about it and I just need to share pain. 
Two, uh, at sundown today begins Yom Kippur, the Jewish Day of Atonement. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the time for me to get all this out of my system before I have to, you know, fast and beg forgiveness for all my sins for the last year. So I'm just, I'm just dumping it out right now. And part of that is I discovered this and I can't let people sleep comfortably knowing that it's out. Like I remember this, this makes me feel like the first time that I, I, I found out that people like actually ate pickled pig's feet like as a Southern person, I always thought that was like a joke food. And then there are people that are like, no, I really love pickled pig's feet. This, is, this reminds me of the time, like how I felt learning that as a child. I never even heard of that until just now. Really? And yeah, and I honestly am now a little bit like queasy. Good just old Southern food. See, you know where I, I am like- We're just supposed to be everything fried. You can fry them. Living in the Midwest, we hear about all these different kinds of foods. We don't really bring all of them in, though. So I knew that pickled pig's feet were a thing. I just, you know, I'm, you're not going to see someone in Northeast Kansas serving them. Well, you guys do serve, uh, I'll say, third or fourth place uh, barbecue. Um, I was looking forward to that. Oh, for boy. The oh, um, okay. You just set them okay, off. Okay, okay, okay. I get asked then, like, if you think that our barbecue is third or fourth, first of all, see a doctor. Second, who the hell do you think is above us? And I swear to God, if you say Texas, we're pulling your endorsements. So, oh man. As chair of the pack, I rule that motion out of order. So, oh man, my Zoom's going into a tunnel. Oh no, oh no, I'm I'm losing connection. so, I mean, I was going to say a, a certain Southern uh, Midwestern state. Um, let's just skip to number two. Okay. Huh? Texas is not Midwest, come on. Anyway, it, move on. It's anyway. like literally in the middle. All right, but so like, so well, let's just skip to number two. Um, I think North Carolina barbecue is, is very solid. Ben's... Um, and it's like looking up as I'm trying to find there's a version of you know that one meme where it's like the guy gets a medal and he's chewing on it and celebrating and then you see that he's in third place and then you know it's always like such and such thing that's deeply overrated and then the you know other ones there's a version of that with Texas barbecue and then it adds like 10 places between you know Kansas City and then Memphis style to like St. Louis and North Carolina and all these other ones like truck stop, gas station, all these odd variations to that at the very bottom. And I can't find it to share with you guys to convey my feelings, but come on. I mean, it's just the Western barbecue stuff. We, my, my family, we used to go on vacations um, up to like the Smokies and you'd always end up in like Western North Carolina and you'd have that, that that's just, that's some good old food. Get that going with some fried okra. You got yourself a good time. Oh, fried okra is a fine thing. I will, this is why it's all the more urgent that I expose so many of my national friends to good Kansas City barbecue, because y'all need an education. Okay, Ben, uh, how about you quit your job and just focus full-time on creating a vaccine? I, maybe I will. It won't be a good vaccine, Um, but damn it, I'll think of something. But like burnt ends and, and brisket, like it's good. But like the my barbecue in my brain has sauce. Like you can have different types of sauces and stuff like that. It's just 
It's too, it's yes, too burnt have, indie. Do you think that Kansas City barbecue doesn't have sauces? It does have sauces, but you're, I thought that like the thrust of Kansas City, whatever, what everyone's always told me is like brisket and burnt ends, which you don't oh, put sauce on. Those are like, of the meats, those are the linchpins. But yes, the sauce is a big part of it. Yeah, if you're putting it. sauce on brisket, you're doing brisket wrong. You're not supposed to have well, sauce burnt on brisket. Ends, like, and yes, you cook brisket differently, but yeah, the sauce is for burnt ends. There are lots of other meats that can go in there. Oh my God, do I take you to Kansas <laughs> Science first. Uh, such an education y'all need. And interestingly, I was actually planning on cooking barbecue chicken tonight. So definitely cook it Texas style. They're the number one barbecue. So <laughs> I'm just okay, gonna do I... it the way that I know how to do, which is on my charcoal grill. You know, put the uh, coals on one side. You know, you get them like somewhat like browned or like tannish. Then you move it to the cool cool side. Just let it sort of sit. You know, and then, like, when you have about 10 minutes left, you put on the barbecue sauce, you know, let it, like, sort of, like, harden, uh, like, caramelize, and you take it off. Do you then serve it on just, like, a piece of bread with uh, a newspaper as the plate? This is this is really harsh, by the way. I've been on, like, chain conference calls all morning, and I haven't had lunch yet. So this is, uh, this is like, cruel and unusual punishment. Um, well, then it's good that I showed you the strawberry pizza because I think that's going <laughs> to kill your appetite for a little bit. All I can say is that the number one thing I was disappointed about with the, I'll, well, I guess we can call it a postponement of the Kansas City meeting, was I think it was the first or second week of March. Ben had put out like a, um, I don't know if you had put out an itinerary yet, but that you were building one for like a I restaurant was, tour of I Kansas City. I was going City. to take anyone who got there early enough on a like tour my, my plan was like either thursday night for because a lot of people get in the thursday nights you know when it starts on friday or earlier on friday before credentials and opening reception and all that on as much of a kc barbecue tour as i could uh part of that was that thursday night i was going to let people cross over into you know the dark and scary land that is missouri and go down to westport which is a social district which has among other things a bar with a claw machine dedicated entirely to white claws because somebody saw a picture of that and wanted me to show them and then my favorite karaoke place because i figured josh would go for that not just josh like there's a lot of people that go for it i don't know why the karaoke caucus is like so robust for yda I, like do we have that many talented karaoke? singers or I mean, it does not. Okay, karaoke is not about your, the talent. It's about the passion. It is a very cathartic thing to do. And I consider myself a member of the karaoke caucus. The only problem is I don't do it enough, just because I'm usually I'm like the semi-responsible one that will actually like go to bed at like eleven o'clock on that Friday night or Saturday night. Wake up at like eight. You know, I don't have the energy anymore. Well, that's that. That's the lifestyle of those of us that enjoy fighting with each other, at, like the rules caucus or the rules committee meeting or the um, resolutions or whatever committees. The ones that are at eight o'clock in the morning, just because if they had more people in the room, they would never get their business done. Um, but no, the the one that I was looking forward to, I think we were gonna like every YDA meeting I've ever been to is just an excuse for me to have food. Um, so oh, it's like not the. Yeah, I mean, YDA New York City in 2018, I think, was my first, like, non-national committee or national convention meeting. And I think I was at that high school or college or whatever it was at. College. Or, I work there. 
I guess I'm sorry for a meeting. grand total of four hours over those three days. Like I was, I was just living my best Manhattan life, um, eating all of the various pizzas and um, Harlem food and all that kind of stuff. So like, uh, I, all I was looking forward to was sitting in a like marathon eight hour JC session on Saturday and then just eating barbecue with the rest of my time in Kansas. Oh my God. We, um, in, in 2013, after the uh, San Antonio convention, so I, I was second VP of YDA at the time, like right coming out of that convention, we had our first just board retreat in uh, on the Missouri side of Kansas City. And we did one of those barbecue tours. Also that same weekend I took the LSAT, which don't ever do that same weekend you have YDA functions. That's a bad idea. Um, spoiler, I retook the LSAT. Um, but yeah, took people on one of those tours. There was actually one that I had not discovered at the time called Elsie's, which is apparently one of the great institutions of Casey Barbecue that I hadn't seen yet, but it's just like a little shack in, you know, a random cross street. And, you know, giant smoker on one side, all the people there. It's not one of those places where they just deliberately come and insult you, but they're going to be loud and they're going to swear a lot. And you're going to feel like they're mad at you, but God damn it, they're putting all their heart and soul into the ribs that they're making. And that's the kind of experience that I want people to have, because most people hadn't known most of that, you know. They hadn't been to, it used to be called Oklahoma Joe's. They changed it to Joe's Kansas City uh, a few years ago, which the, the very first one started off in, like in a gas station and it's actually still there. But then they've opened satellite, just regular sit down restaurants. But that is sort of the, the fast food version of the Kansas City barbecue scene. And, you know, I had to take people to all of that. Um, hopefully the line wouldn't be too long, but it's the institution, so it is one of the like five jack stack locations i'm thinking about this too much now i <laughs> listeners i did not plan on derailing our recording with our guest and political candidate justin olson back to talk about barbecue but damn it oh, i mean that, i think that is probably the most respectful way we can remember the postponed i it's still postponed for me yes. i think it's the most respectful way we yes. can remember yda ope um as we as we wait for it to come around for its renaissance so we had better because, damn it, I actually paid money to get buttons printed that said YDA Ope on them. <laughs> I that was the, yeah. Rebecca can be mad all she wants, but that was the official hashtag. Oh, yeah, very much so. I mean, granted, I created both hashtags, like the KCK one, you know, they wanted to use the airport code, which would have made no sense. And then well, that one for fun. Uh, so par- I got into a discussion about this once about with Danielle Glover with the ha- how the hashtag work- works in general. It's always YDA plus the airport code, no matter yeah. what. But the Which, airport like, for Kansas City is MCI, so. Yeah, so. I guess rules are meant to be broken, and in that case, Ope. And I know what I'm doing here. I've spent 10 years thinking about that way too much, and have probably ranted about it enough on, you know, many episodes of this podcast. Uh, where was I going with this? Something, something, something. Oh, yeah, I went to the actual Dark union side. Printer. Yeah, I went to the actual union printer in Topeka that does all the buttons for Democratic candidates in this part of the state. You know, they gave me like a very slight discount because um, their owner's a precinct committee man and, you know, he was just trying to be cool. And I used to have a fucking box of those buttons because I was going to give one to everybody. But they were going to be in the welcome bag. Wait, so you weren't going to have Melissa Shapiro be doing the buttons? Like oh, no, she was making her own. She was making her own. Like, you know, those little poopy buttons. It's not, a, it's not a white A meeting unless you have a Melissa Shapiro um, tchotchke that you can bring back. From, from the meeting. I, I have mine along with my big bucket of buttons in, in our bedroom, sitting on one of the shelves. Oh yeah, I, here, let me go grab the nearest one. Um, 
Oh, there's a yeah, and, component uh, for the podcast. Yeah, I like have, my uh, personal favorite uh, was uh, the Atlanta meeting. Or okay, and this is the uh, the one from the Birmingham, Birmingham meeting last year, which is a snowflake because it was the winter meeting. Um, that one was a was a little annoying because of the amount of glitter that was yeah. all over my everything. Oh, she from that she trip. loves glitter, like which yeah. you know whatever. But the my personal favorite just as an Irishman, you know, was of course the, the Atlanta meeting because that was a, a shamrock and general session was on St. Patrick's Day. Now, I don't remember exactly what she was doing for the Kansas City meeting. I just know that somehow it wasn't a sunflower, which was weird to me. He's like, come on, we teed that up for you. We're literally the sunflower state. That seems like an easy arts and crafts. Story. Okay, we're getting her back on the podcast and we're going to like admonish her for like 20 minutes on how it has to be a sunflower. Watch out, Melissa. We are going to make sure that your CIA spy knows about this. And yeah, yeah. Just turn turn the net, turn that episode of the uh, podcast into like a how it's made YDA edition. Um, <laughs> we we do like a full um, production process review. You know, oh, well, I've well, actually thought of of pitching. So this is like if I was truly like the most evil person on earth, which can be argued. What we should do is that we should pitch a uh, like reality show, uh, or I guess it would just be like a TV doc- or a movie documentary, like on like HBO Max or whatever, on YDA campaigns. Like you have like the behind the scenes of all the meetings for the two different sides and all that. Hard YDA. I, all I know is that being a member of YDA, I had never been, I think I was the most prepared person except for like, you know, Nakima, whenever I ran for my state party position um, as secretary for DPG, like the, the cutthroat nature of YDA uh, slate campaigns, especially if it's like two fully formed slates, mm-hmm. um, man, those, those things get raw, they get raunchy, they, they, it is the most back um, uh, behind the scenes stuff that Veep never even prepared you for. Oh uh, my God! Like, what, when when I when I ran in 2013, I was part of that. Was one of the few years where we've had two fully formed top to bottom slates, and my God, like the fur flying there. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of the other candidates for DPG office back in 2019 that that was like their first big thing, um, running for for something like that, and um, you, you got to get the you got to get the lit. You got to bring pizzas. You got to bring coffee. You got to bring all of the food bribes for whenever the um, whenever the doors lock behind you, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Because uh, you got to settle in for those nine-hour Roberts Rules um, fiestas that are, I won't that are be, enjoyable. I'm, I'm not going to be a snitch and say like on the show who does it, but there is another like longtime member of YDA, somebody who's been around about as long as I have, who has become known for the last several years for bringing mimosa ingredients to national committee meetings and to like to you know the floor of conventions. Oh yeah. And oh yeah. Definitely had some ready, if not in San Antonio, though I'm pretty sure they did. Uh, definitely in Dallas, uh, and I was still judicial council chair at the time then. So, by God, I was ready for one. <laughs> yeah, you gotta. Have I don't the, think the, anyone would have said anything if you had a mimosa like on the floor, because especially with Dallas, they probably they better not have. Now at that point, somebody had already you know popped my inflatable mallet. Um, and I will absolutely call Sean Elliott out for that because damn it, Sean, um, he doesn't do things anymore anyway. It's fine. Um, but yeah, 
Well, like the the general the the um, general sessions are right in the middle of brunch, um, and especially like at the last one in Indianapolis, if you get the um, we'll call it the luck of the draw to be sitting on the in between Ohio delegation and the main stage. And um, I don't know what it is about their stupid little OHIO thing that they have to do every five seconds. But whenever you have a delegation of 70 plus people that really love yelling that every five minutes, a, um, a mimosa or a bellini is one way, one coping mechanism that can get you through, along with all the other fun stuff that happens during a general session. I think, yeah. you know- I was right, probably... like I in Indianapolis, New York was right behind Georgia. And most of it, I was just standing in the back, like just talking to people, like because I just, I just couldn't stand sitting down. Kansas like, was placed in the back for that one, so I just got to do that naturally. Yeah, which was good because you know that way I couldn't be like roaming around the front, snapping at people who were being stupid to me when I was trying to give my judicial counsel reports to you know the body of a thousand people who had no idea what was going on. And yes, I'm salty about the way that was handled. We know, we know. Because it was handled incorrectly by everyone else. Oh, we had the... Well, the hold on, we just had a... We, ben, we began this podcast by talking about how we have to respect democracy. I know. I'm just saying, uh, you can respect the democratic process while still saying that, you know, hey, a lot of people don't understand what the purpose of certain bodies that I used to chair and our guests vice chairs uh, are actually supposed to be doing. And that, hey, just because somebody's a longtime member and doesn't like that you ruled against them, doesn't mean that it was a personal insult to them and you should overturn it because they cried. Don't you guys miss having these arguments three times a year in person? It, it, yes. I miss that. <laughs> I actually do. Because, like, I will come back with, like, stories to tell. And mm -hmm. it's also... This is also what we talk about because it's also just like, it's just the absolute insanity, and it also proves that we there's something mentally wrong with us that we get off on this. I mean, YDA it has it, it definitely has been a you know just speaking real for a second, like it has been something that has really helped me as a um, as an activist, as a party person, really understanding like how this stuff fits together. Um, obviously, it has some issues that need to be addressed, both short-term and long-term, with how it's structured, um, access to the organization for individuals, how it's run, how certain um, committees interact with the national committee, and you know, reports delivering, and all that kind of fun stuff. But at the end of the day, like I think that at its core, like YDA is an organization where you know people show up to it ready to do good work, um, you know, and I. I feel like most of the time YDA does a good job of finding ways to funnel that um, into actual good work, um, especially behind the scenes. Uh, you know, whenever I was on the, whenever I was the finance director and I was interacting with, you know, the um, activism chair and the, you know, those types of committees um, on YDA to help fund some of the stuff that they were doing. I think that there has been, if you look back at some of the stuff that these committees have done at YDA level, I think there has been change done or change enacted or impacted by, by YDA um, activists. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that like, yeah, we really enjoy reminiscing on, you know, the nightmare worlds whenever you get into like a motion um, substituted and then you get a discussion inside of a sub motion. And all of a sudden, like someone has to ask like, hey, can we wind back and Q has to somehow try to explain where we are at in Robert's roles and what are we voting on right now? But like, um, that's the type of stuff that like, it's fun in the moment. And at least for me, like I'm a process guy and, you know, Robert's rules is fun. Um, but like, 
you know, at the end of the day, the core of it, I think, is it, it's something that I miss. Um, and I will, like, say that it has also trained me a lot on other things. Like, I was at my – so, New York, the way that we elect judges is, is completely screwed up. But we have a convention uh, for each judicial district, which are – that's its own other thing. And so I was a delegate to it from my assembly district, and there was actually an issue when it, uh, that came up that was basically Robert's Rules issue, and I was I made like the point of information on it. Like, simply put, someone had nominated some a uh, person for a judgeship, and but the person was not the candidate was not present, but was called, and the candidate actually declined the nomination and so there's a whole fight about can we still nominate in absentia and i had to do point of information under robert's rules can't we just if the person declines then the whole thing is null and void and basically everyone's like wait yeah you're right however it turns out that we are using state election law which is different and not robert's rules uh for this meeting so but it was one of those things where (laughs) Basically, people have started coming up to me at, like, my county parties asking, like, what does this, like, procedure mean? And it's one of those things where if it wasn't for YDA and me having to, like, learn this stuff on the fly, it would not have – I would not be where I am. Yeah, like, my my personal biggest takeaway has always been, like, so I have a very passing um, okayness with, like, Robert's Rules or understanding of Robert's Rules. Mm -hmm. Um, There are people in YDA that will – um, Robert's Rules of Order circles around me um, because of all the different process stuff that they know and the different motions and how they interact and what takes precedence over what I, I know enough to like survive a meeting um, and like the there's like two main things that I've gained from YDA one um, as a state party official for the Democratic Party of Georgia whenever we had to do the replacement after um, the great John Lewis passed away we had to replace the Democratic nominee on the ballot heading into November. And um, as since our chair was running for one of the, that position, I had to run that meeting as the state party secretary. And a lot of that had motions. I mean, it was on Zoom with like an electoral body of about 48 people and 700 people were on the Zoom call watching and press members and all that kind of stuff. And being able to at least not mess up running the floor motions um, was something that I would have been wholly unprepared to do if it wasn't for my involvement of, uh, with YDA. And then like more broad stuff, um, it's really opened my eyes to where like, you have to make these things approachable to people. Whenever I first showed up to YDA um, to, I think it was the, whatever the national committee meeting was before Dallas, the national convention, that was my first meeting. And I remember showing up and I didn't say a word out loud because like all this crazy Robert's rule stuff was happening around me. And I had no idea what any of it was. Um, but like, if we, if we're intentional about making this stuff approachable, um, I heard somebody, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase them, but they said like, Robert's rules, you shouldn't use it unless you have to. Um, you should make these meetings approachable for people and understandable and, you know, sensical. Um, and that's the thing, like, yes, you can really take over an organization if you just weaponize Robert's rules. Um, but like, if you make it open to people, I think that's more healthy for the organization to grow, to get more work done, to, you know, be able to achieve its goals as an organization. Well, definitely agree with that. But I also think that one of the things you have to do that just for anyone who's first getting started in any organization is first read the rules. Like a lot of people that like, I see this a lot in my own county party, people will say this isn't fair. And then they'll, someone else will, usually me actually, just because I'll be that guy, I'll say, 
look at this section of the rules. Like this is completely in line of what we're supposed to be doing. You know, it may not hit uh, be your cup of tea, but we have to do this. And but if you just if you just it's amazing like what you can do if you just read the manual. Like yeah, I, mean, I actually. Things don't end up in organizational charter and bylaws without a reason. Like there, there are rules that seem crazy or very complicated whenever you read these charter and bylaw documents for like, you know, whenever I was gonna run for state party secretary, I, I did a very deep dive and, you know, uh, chart of all the different ways that these different rules and charter um, and bylaw elements fit together. But like, there's a reason why a lot of these things exist. And a lot of those reasons predate your involvement. Well, especially if you're new to an organization, like they do predate your involvement in the organization. Um, so like learning what you're getting involved in before you get involved in it, I think is um, something that a lot of people skip. Um, if you're gonna run for a thing, understand the limitations and the actual tangible requirements of that thing. And if you're gonna run for a national committee representative or a state party or a statewide e-chair, just you got to know, especially if you're going to if you're going to run for your young Democrats of X state president or whatever that title is position, like yeah, that's a lot more focused on your state. But if you're going to run for a national committee position for your um, local chapter, like just know what you're doing before you run for it um, and what you're tasked to do. Like end of the day, I approached whenever I was national committee rep for for Georgia, one of the two, I always approached it as like, what can I get from YDA back to my state? Um, what can I get back to my members? If that's money, great. If that's resources, great. If that's knowledge, great. If that's activism, great. But what can I get back? Um, and you have to figure out how to do that within the structures. And that definitely also, definitely, I think, ties in. Like, I'm sure you've also done, been doing your homework, Justin, with those, like, your run, like, what the actual duties of a county commissioner is, which, you know, when I... So most people, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like I'm right now in grad school, I'm in my final semester, getting my master's in political management. And I, um, so over back in March, I, so right as the pandemic started, I was in a class called state and local campaigns. And very first week of the class, we were saying, like, we had to figure out what campaign we wanted to focus on. And it was heavily reading what the duties of the job is. And they, Professor Royal just kept on pointing out, make sure you read your county, your city, whatever the charter or constitution is. See what the duties are because you don't want to be, if you're running for an office, you have to know, you can't be promising the sun, moon, and the stars when that's out of your purview. Yeah, I mean, a huge part of whenever I decided to run for this thing was just figuring out like, what, what the hell it can do. Um, if I got elected and I was the best person in the universe at my job, what could I actually get done for people? Um, and what are the limitations of this position anyway? Um, that's why, like, as I studied more and more on this race, I, I, there was a vote proposed by, or a motion proposed by my opponent um, to withdraw Fulton County from the HUD, federal HUD program, the Community Development Block Grant Program. Um, which for Fulton um, represents, you know, a few million dollars, anywhere between like three to $5 million, depending on the year. Mm -hmm. um, those funds predominantly go towards low-income housing, uh, first-time home buyers um, that can't qualify for traditional mortgage, um, senior housing, things like that. Um, and it's, I live in the northern part of my county, which is predominantly, well, less so now, but historically more white, uh, more affluent, more educated, 
um, more middle and upper class. And the money from that HUD program was predominantly going to South Fulton, which historically was predominantly people of color, low income, lower education. Um, and as I, that was the one that, that was the motion that kind of triggered like, wait, I should probably be paying attention to this county commission. What, what can it do? The more I dug into it, like it can actually, if a commissioner got elected um, and really focused on some things for four years, it can actually make a huge impact for transit. Um, I am a huge train nerd. I can talk to you guys until I'm blue in the face about different types of heavy rail and light rail and BRT and last mile options and all that kind of stuff. That's my nerdy personal project. Um, and if a commissioner gets elected to this in Atlanta um, for Fulton County, it can do a lot of things over the next four years behind the scenes to get this stuff done. It can also get prep put into our public health centers free of charge. And that would have a massive impact on the HIV AIDS epidemic here in Atlanta. Um, it can do things like a, as a commissioner, I can propose special items onto the budget. And we're talking about like 10 to $20 million that if I come up with an idea, I can do, I can just put it on the budget and I have $20 million to spend on my idea. And so one of the things that we're putting together is a um, coding jobs training program, um, both just general population, but also feeding that into our jails um, to where as an IT recruiter, like I know for a fact that you don't need a college degree for a lot of these um, coding jobs, that you can career switch into them in your 30s and your 40s and learn how to code in JavaScript or in Java or in C Sharp. And you can get a $120,000 a year job after a couple of years and you don't have to have a college degree. And so I can put on the budget a $5 million coding training program um, to where it's, an, it's a free alternative to a coding boot camp that normally costs like 10 or 20 grand and we can teach people how to code. And that can make a lot of difference both in just general population as well as like recidivism programs in our jails. So stuff like that, like Ed, to your point, if you dig into what a position can really get done, um, just like you can weaponize Robert's Rules of Order and it can be a negative, you can weaponize the power of an office and make it a huge positive, um, especially a race like this one where to be frank, like a lot of people didn't even know it existed whenever I would call people and tell them like, hey, I'm running for a thing or I'm running for Fulton County Commission. They're like, what is that? What does it even do? And being able to explain to them these types of things, like it gets people excited. Um, and I, you know, we are 37 days out. We feel good about it. Um, and it's four years of really focused, like I get an actual staff budget and can put together these programs and we can do a lot of good. We just got to get the job done. Oh, I think there's like no other better way to like end the episode than like Ben. Anything you, you know, want to say? The only other thing I would have would have done at this point was just to ask, like, you're running for a fairly significant public office at a, you know, what is in the world of electoral politics, a fairly young age. We've got other people that are sort of in our circle that are in our age range and that are at least considering this at some point in your life. I was going to ask, what do you have, you know, what would you like to say to everyone that's still sort of in the process of thinking about doing that in the next couple of years? You may have well, sort of answered that, but if you've got anything else you want to tack on. I mean, this, this extends even not just for public office. Like, I remember whenever I was going to run for my county committee's secretary position back in 2016. Um, a lot of people for that position, first of all, I got a lot of like, oh, you're a guy that's going to run for a secretary position, just like a lot of gender stuff. Um, um, but that, moving beyond that, like focusing more on the age stuff, like you get a lot of in- the, in the party spaces and party politics, you get a lot of pats on the head if you're a young person going to run for something. 
of like, uh, you can work the sign-in table, you can fix our web hosting, you can handle our social media pages, but we're not gonna give you any actual responsibility. And my biggest point to any, anyone that's listening to this, that's thinking about running for anything, public office, party, anything, what have you. Um, people, for the most part, are not gonna ask you. They're not gonna, they're not gonna give it to you. Um, but what I will say is like, what we've seen over the last, what, seven months since COVID started um, is that things are gonna change very rapidly. They already have, um, but like things are gonna be very different from now on. Um, the emphasis on technology, on public health, on science. Um, I made a post the other day, like climate change hits different for people that are under the age of 40. Um, like it's just a different issue to you if you are 35 years old versus if you're 65. Um, and we've all grown up in technology. And so we are able to, I think we're, we are uniquely able to scale and bring technology solutions to the table um, and things like that. So my, my last thing on this is if you're gonna run for office, please know that it's very rare that you are gonna get asked and that people are gonna pave the road for you and make it easy for you. Um, but you have skill sets that are extremely unique. I am 31 years old. If I win, I will be the youngest person on the county commission by like 35 years, like some crazy number like that. Um, I can't wait for the pictures, like whenever it's me and the other six commissioners and I'm like the 31 year old whippersnapper. Um, I, I, I'm also very excited for if they ever ask me to like fix their printer, or fix their router. But like I, I, the, the biggest thing I'll say is you bring a perspective that is necessary, um, that these bodies need. The state, your state legislature needs more young people if it's going to actually be able to cleanly and correctly address issues like climate change or progressive tax systems or criminal justice reform because of the, they need our perspective. And as a party, I get, I sit in a lot of Zoom calls now, they used to be in-person meetings saying like, we've got to get young people to vote. The, I think the best way you motivate someone to vote is you give them a way to identify with the system you give them something that they can actually identify with. Um, if that is a candidate, great. If that is an issue, great. And it's the best case if it can be both. Um, having people on the ballot that look like you, that represent you, that you can identify with is the best way to get young people to vote. And I've had conversations as a candidate. I wish I could have more. Um, COVID has made campaigning <laughs> uh, unique. Um, we can't go door to door. So finding different ways to connect with people has been challenging, but I have talked to 25-year-olds, I've talked to 18-year-olds, I've talked to 31-year-olds, and whenever we go over my age, you can tell that they, the conversation shifts for them versus like, you know, I remember talking up to elected officials or candidates that were in their 50s and 60s, um, but whenever you're talking to a peer, it's a different conversation, and it gets people engaged. You can get elected, and if you're in it for the right reasons, you can have an entire lifetime. You can have multiple decades as an elected official to to address these issues. So get involved. Don't wait people to don't wait for people to bring you a chair and get you a seat at the table. If they're not going to let you at their table, start a new table and and bring your own chairs. And you can build consensus and build power that way. Thank you, Justin. That's. Those are important words for everyone to hear. I think that's a big part of the message that we wanted to spread, you know, just since we started up the idea of, of the pack. Um, I think that, you know, makes us like, uh, think we probably made the right choice making you one of our inaugural endorsements. So far, the other one is Nakima Williams, which, of course, mm -hmm. I guess, thank you. Like, it's applause music and all that for me. 
we are discussing a few others, and I think when we do our, our fundraiser, we're going to go live with some of them, just because it would be a little weird if we are exclusively endorsing people in Georgia, not that I think you'd mind. I was about to say, I've got another list of, of young people running for, for state house races and stuff like that here in Georgia. We can just make this a Georgia thing. Oh, my. <laughs> I already got the name for the, like, Act Blue page, Sweet as a Peach. There we go. As long as it doesn't say hot Lana. And I, I do want to leave your listeners with one key issue. Um, well, I guess two. One, pineapple does not belong on pizza. It's a travesty. Um, the best pizza is pepperoni and mushroom. Um, and From New York. Like New York pizza is the only way to go. I, I absolutely agree. As a Georgian, New York pizza is the superior pizza. Um, Mushrooms are and, and also Chicago, that is not pizza. That is a casserole. It's a confused lasagna, um, and no, it is, yeah, it's definitely not pizza. Um, and then the second key issue is that Texas does have the best barbecue. So. We were doing so well. Why, why are you like? Why are you skidding out of the end here? I, I think it's important to leave people with the hot issues of the day and to make clear the stances of this podcast, which is in agreements. I think we can all say with the two things that I just said. Never to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove that you are one. I really so, appreciate you guys having me on, though. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Justin. Thanks. Uh, our theme music is produced by Alexander Nakamrata. Our, we are a product of Dog Pack Incorporated. Uh, all rights reserved. You know, donations to us are not tax deductible. We are not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Plus, we just had a candidate on, so I don't know, you know, Ben, this, if there's any lawyer talk that I need to include, let me know. Uh, you're getting sort of drowned out by some sort of a buzzing sound, but I think you probably got all the, uh, all the words this time. Uh, I've been Seamus Campbell. I've been Ben Cohen. And we've been joined by Justin Holstenback. Thanks, everyone, and stay safe. And put on your pizza.